remember the prophecy that Ezekiel received in Ezekiel 47, where this water would be poured over the altar and it would flow out of, of the temple. And so that's what was happening in John chapter 7. It was this ritual that was taking place. Jesus is in the midst of this kind of parade of bringing the water up to the temple. And as they then... Um, kind of finish that ritual, it's a stunning moment where Jesus all of a sudden cries out. And, and he, he says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow, here it is, rivers of living water. And John then gives us some clarity as to exactly what Jesus meant by this. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. So what we have is, again, this river referenced, and it's a reference of the very presence of God, but Jesus is coming to the forefront and saying, hey, like, I am the fulfillment of this particular uh, vision. And, and so Jesus is saying, I am the river. Like, come to me, anyone who thirsts, and I will quench your thirst. I will bring satisfaction uh, to your soul. So in large part, when it comes to Mercy Gate, our name is taken from that uh, vision in Ezekiel 47. The water flowed out of the eastern gate, which is also known as the gate of mercy. Jesus then is the true fulfillment. He is the mercy gate, we could say. He is the way through which we come to know the presence of God. And then, of course, later in Jesus, after he has you know, lived, he has endured the cross, he has been resurrected, of course, the, the promise of the Spirit comes. As Jesus is glorified, the fulfillment of this promise that the, the Spirit would indwell us and rivers of living water would flow from us. So you have the picture not only of Jesus satisfying the hearts of his people, but then giving us his own presence. So no longer is the temple something in Jerusalem, but the temple is us. It's the Spirit who takes up residence in us, and it's the Spirit who then enables these rivers, and it's plural, rivers, multiple streams of life to flow from us. So this is what Mercy Gate is all about. It's leading others to the one who can satisfy their souls, namely, namely Jesus. So this is the picture, uh, really, that our name points to. It's this river of God's presence that flows out, and ultimately it's Jesus, the one who satisfies the thirsty soul. Now, beyond just some of those basic uh, depictions of, you know, what Mercy Gate is, the theme of water and wilderness runs through from Genesis to Revelation, it's like you can't get away. Like what you see in Ezekiel 47, what you find Jesus saying, hey, I'm the fulfillment of in John chapter 7, it is just part of a massive theme that begins in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was said to be a, a mountain, right? and, and, and from the mountain flowed these rivers, these water sources. And so the, the, the Really, the visual picture is there. You know, as, as scripture unfolds, we begin to see, oh yeah, like the mountains were where, so to speak, the gods would reside. And the blessing of the god would flow down from the mountain and 
kind of satisfy the people. It would give the people what they, they needed. And that's kind of how the Garden of Eden was designed. It had these water sources. And of course, the, the water sources then went beyond the garden and into what we would refer to as a wilderness. And Adam and Eve are then tasked with the responsibility to see this garden ever expand according to the water sources that go into the wilderness. And so um, maybe that's not a traditional view that you may have of the Garden of Eden, but nonetheless, the imagery that's spoken of in Scripture gets us to that point. Adam and Eve were charged to see the Garden of Eden, this temple, uh, if you will, expanded throughout this wilderness. And so, of course, what we then find is Adam and Eve actually you know, sin enters them. Wilderness, in some sense, we could say, enters them. It's their souls that become thirsty because they, as Romans chapter 1, verse 25, they exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped the creation rather than the creator. So, you know, whether it's the temptations from Satan, you know, they're, they're worshiping, they're allowing something less than God to define them, and ultimately it brings this wilderness of thirst to their souls. And so, as the storyline of Scripture continues, you begin to see this water wilderness theme uh, picked up, uh, whether it's in Genesis where you see um, kind of Abraham and Isaac and these different guys kind of carrying along the promises that God has given them, but it always seems to surround wells of water and wilderness, and there's fights that go on contending for these water sources, you know, and, and, and until you get to Exodus and the Exodus account where they're now taken out into the wilderness and water's coming from the rock. And, and so you see all this, this, this theme of water and wilderness building and building and building, but ultimately it becomes a figure, a symbol of really our own spiritual well-being that in a real sense, we have a wilderness of the soul. We, we have a soul that is just not satisfied in, in what we seek after. And so ultimately we find like God promising Ezekiel, hey, the water is going to run. There's going to be water in the wilderness. It's going to bring life wherever it goes. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, by the way, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm going to pour out the Spirit upon you. Rivers of life will not only be given to you, but will flow from you so that wherever you go, the river goes, and therefore life is, is brought about. Like satisfaction to your soul, but ministry now takes place as the Spirit flows through us, and, and as the theme continues, it doesn't stop there. It ultimately gets all the way, I mean, some, the very last chapter of the Bible is all about this water source, where we see Jesus returning, and, and what he does is re, he reestablishes the Garden of Eden in its fullness, right? There is no garden and wilderness. It's a full kind of, it's a full globe of garden, uh, that, that, that's encountered. And, and so we, we see then in the middle of this garden, this, this throne and from the throne as Revelation chapter 22, I believe verse 1 and 2 says, from the fl throne flows this water and from the lamb flows this water. And once again, it's the, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God and abiding kind of in this temple ground once again, this garden that is now taken up residence in a global fashion, where all people now, all of God's people now get to enjoy 
his presence with, without wilderness and perfect satisfaction and perfect harmony. It, it's, it's the utopia we all ultimately long for, our hearts ultimately long for. And so that's where we see this water and wilderness kind of theme kind of working its way through scripture. The mercy gate, once again, is simply saying, hey, like, God has chosen to take up residence in his own, in his own people. And so as, as God's people, we, we want to be kind of uh, conduits of his mercy. We want to be conduits of his, his grace to those who are thirsty. We want to be able to point them to Jesus so that their own souls could be satisfied uh, in him. So, can I, can I thoughts add to that? Simple, simple stuff, I hope, um, but some of the best imagery in, in the Bible is kind of taken up uh, with this idea of water and therefore the mercy gate being the way through which that water comes. All right, so uh, the other question that we wanted to cover is how does the meaning of mercy gate actually inform our mission? Uh, so our, our mission is to make followers of Jesus, and that's, again, like, that should be like the mission of every church in large part, like where Jesus says, hey, this is the great commission to go and make uh, followers of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So like from the top down, the instructions for us as God's people is to make followers of Jesus, to see more individuals satisfied in Jesus, to see kind of the wilderness of their hearts uh, satisfied in the river of Christ, if you will. So, so this is really the essence of our mission. Now, in order to accomplish that mission, um, you know, even, even within our website, this is nothing new even with the name change, but these are the values that we believe will foster this mission. Like, like how are we going to get this mission of making followers account? How, do we, how are we going to do it? Well, the first value that we hold on to is vulnerable uh, communion with God, which has the idea of we, we want to be a people of prayer and worship. We want to be a people whose hearts, uh, in, in vulnerability, lean into the Lord. Even as Jesus says, like, the, the way into the kingdom is, is a way of childlikeness. We don't come with our great ideas. We don't come with all of our achievements. We actually come in the poverty of our spirit. We, we come with the wilderness of our spirit and say, God, we have, noth we have nothing ultimately to bring to the table but our brokenness, but our thirst. And God says, yep, I, I'm the one who brings the grace. You're the one who brings the thirst and the brokenness, right? So when it comes then to uh, uh, the church and its mission, it's important that we would begin with recognizing that we're a people who need first and foremost to be leaning into this kind of fountain of life. That it would be kind of first and foremost an emphasis on vulnerability. We don't want to hold anything back from him. We want to give our full selves and all of our brokenness and all of our weakness and all of our difficulty. We don't want to give ourselves to him and learn as a church what it is to be a people of worship and, and prayer. Um, because... You look at the storyline, especially in the, the New Testament church, so much of ministry, so much, we could even say of strategy, did not begin by a bunch of pastors getting in a room and saying, what should we do? It, it was about, it, it, it all began, again and again from 
Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4 to Acts chapter 13, you, you see people gathering and they begin to worship and they begin to pray, pray. And what does God do? God begins to guide and lead kind of how they should go about ministry. So everything begins with worship and prayer. It's part of the reason why Jesus said, hey, like, don't get ahead of yourselves. You, you need to go wait and pray for the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. And so what do they do? They get up into the upper room and they wait and they pray. They gather together in worship. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. That's where the Holy Spirit then begins to lead his people. And so we, more and more over time, we're, we're seeing that this value of worship is not something that can be overlooked, that we need to cultivate uh, within our church kind of hearts of worship that lean into the, the life source, if you will, that we lean in to, to the Lord and, and allow him to kind of direct our path. Uh, so it doesn't mean that we don't think hard about, you know, what God may want us to do or strategize or anything like that or you know, evaluate how other ministries are doing things, but, but much of ministry must be birthed uh, from this place of vulnerable communion, from vulnerable worship with, with the Lord. And so we want that to kind of be center focus, even for those of you with, within Mercy Gate, you uh, who even uh, participate in worship, you know, we're even trying to begin a, a small initiative of, of kind of giving emphasis to this aspect of worship and, and together as a worship team learning and thinking through in greater measure just the implications and what's involved in a worship experience. Uh, so as a church, that's something we want to value. Anything, yeah? I was listening to a sermon last night which kind of lines up with this idea and the, the pastor was talking about the story in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas are imprisoned and they're singing hymns at midnight and as they're praising God the the earth begins to quake and all of the prisoners are set free and um, kind of his main premise was that there are so many times that we get into these situations where we really are in some sense, imprisoned. May, you may actually be imprisoned, or it may be more of a, um, you're just kind of stuck in the circumstances of life. But his point was that God loves to operate in those moments when we are vulnerably worshiping him, recognizing that there's nothing we can do. And so this idea of vulnerable communion with God fueling any, any of our mission or any of our ministry, it's the idea that, that God loves to do crazy, big, unexpected things, but those things are birthed in the moments when you're, you have absolutely nothing else to do, no one else to turn to, and you're vulnerably worshiping and communing with God and recognizing that he is the source of all of this. So even as we explain like how this relates to our, our mission and our values, it's like hear the encouragement and, and hear the um, kind of the vision that's being laid out for us to pursue as a church, um, that we would grow in our vulnerability in worship together, because we do, we do this in the unity of the body of Christ. This is not just something that we do individually. Um, so don't let your communion with God in our church body just be something that we do on a Sunday, but something that like we're intentionally vulnerable about with each other, yep. also individually, but together as a church. Yep. Great. And 
my, like, I'm so tempted to just jump into like a conversation about worship because that, that's where the Lord has had me over the last couple years of like, man, we, we need to grow and understand uh, the dynamic of worship. And by worship, we're not just saying, oh yeah, well, we just gotta be a bit more like crazy in our worship or go hard after God and all these uh, kind of more flamboyant ways. That, that's not the point. It's, it's learning what it is to press into the Lord in spirit and in truth, to engage him through the empowerment of, of the spirit, but also engage him according to truth. But one of the things that I keep on coming away with as I've kind of studied through these things is worship is never a one-way street. God never calls us to worship, to just say, oh, you know, bring your offering to me while I just sit back and give nothing back to you. Like, the worship experience is covenantal at its foundation. It's relational, and therefore, God intends, he intends to meet with us, but so often, in our worship, we don't have eyes for him. All we're thinking about is, I guess we're supposed to do this, and, and, and we feel good about the music, and we feel good, perhaps, about what we're saying at times, but really, the, the engagement it lacks something if we don't get to the point of recognizing that now our worship is brought to him, it's all about him, but he's so good, he's so loving, he's so kind to then kind of uh, minister to us as well in the moment of worship. He's always there to be relational. It's a covenantal reality where we get to encounter our God in worship. So much to learn there as a church, much to grow in uh, so vulnerable worship is kind of the, the first value. And I, I would say this, this will take some priority within our church life. But then second is intentional community. You know, when, when, when you see Acts 2 play out and the New Testament church is established, you, you, you see the waiting, you see the praying, you see the outpouring of the Spirit, and, and you see this more or less a mass revival take place. Folks are coming to faith in Jesus. Their souls are being satisfied. The Spirit is poured, being poured out in ways. And, and, and it produces such a vibrant community life where they hold all things in common, right? They're, they're sharing with one another. They're meeting one another's needs. And, and, and so it's not just basic discipleship where we're pointing one another to Jesus. It goes well beyond that to, to the very kind of like, physical needs that we all carry, um, and, and, it, and it comes at a cost to one another. Um, and, and this becomes really uh, the, the essence of what the Holy Spirit produces in us as the community of faith. Like, the Spirit of God is a spirit of agape love. Like, we, when it comes to um, this idea of love, if this idea of agape love is the idea of a self-giving love. It's to give yourself away. It's to actually feel the cost of giving yourself away to someone, right? And you're giving yourself away to another person for their good. Now, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the reality of the satisfaction that Jesus brings to our hearts, we will not know how to rightly love one another. Um, I, it's been my own kind of learning experience over the last seven years where it's, it's man, I, I, I can exhaust myself at times in giving myself uh, away. And, and, and it's oftentimes by my own 
you know, strivings and doings. Oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to fulfill this, and I got to. It's not flowing from the, the Holy Spirit. It's not kind of flowing out of what He's doing in me for the good of, of, of others. It's something in which I'm striving to accomplish uh, something in my own strength, in my own power, in my own kind of, with my own lifeline, so to speak, not really depending upon, upon Him. And so when it comes to intentional community, like, we're, we can't be Jesus for every one another. Like, we can't be the emotional satisfaction for every one of the needs that are represented uh, with, within the community of faith. And yet, there is a real, as Jesus satisfies us, there's a real uh, ability to be self-giving, to give ourselves away in his leading for the good of, of one another. And, and ultimately, this is what Scripture will recognize as, as being a participation in Christ. A true participation in Christ uh, is not bringing all our strivings to the table. It's, it's, it's working at the impulse of his love. It's working at the impulse of his directives. And so once again, even when it comes to community life, doing life together as a church, and there's so many different facets to all of that, but it should, it should flow out of one's vulnerable communion worship with the Lord. Uh, if you're not leaning into the Lord, then you may, you probably don't have much to offer. Like, he, he is the lifeline that we go to in order to be able to give something away. We don't have anything to give that we haven't first received, and so that's important that we learn what worship is, we learn how to lean into the Lord, so that even when it comes to community life, we can be giving something away. Agape love can, can kind of flourish within the, the context of the church, and that's where Jesus says, John 13, 34, uh, by this will all men know that you're a follower of me by your love for one another. That, that's not self-induced, that's not striving, that's not just kind of, you know, put your head down and, and, and grind it through kind of love. This is self-giving love that's produced ultimately by the Spirit of God within us according to the satisfaction that Christ has brought to our own hearts and lives. We love as we are loved. We show mercy as we've been shown mercy. That's the dynamic of this intentional community life. And, and, and just to put out there, like we're in a point in time, corona season, where things are just different. We're pulled away from kind of that physical expression of, of community. And so it's important all the more that we're not wasting our time, uh, you know, binging on Netflix or whatever else, but, you know, binge on your Bible, get to Jesus, like ensure that your own soul is being satisfied. Um, and, and, and so that in some sense, as we begin returning and we begin to do life together again, that, that there's something to offer, that there's something of love to be shown, something of grace to be given, uh, because you've kind of, you, you've drank from the well uh, during this season. So I, I pray that on the other end of what we're experiencing now, that body life will only be that much more sweet. I think if I just kind of look over the, the years that I've been here at our church, I would say this, this would be a value that we've done pretty well. It might be our strongest point. I, I don't know. I'm just speaking off the cuff. But uh, when it comes to just pressing into fellowship as a church, I think we've done well at this. I think we can definitely grow for sure. Yeah. But um, there's a distinction that when 
somebody is expecting you to show up to a thing and do something or bring something, it's oftentimes easier to do that than it is to press into vulnerable communion with God because we're not necessarily looking God in the face and he's not waiting for us, you know, the same way that a, a person next to you is. So I feel like it's super important, as Dan was saying, that intentional community must flow out of the vulnerable communion. As we've already done well with the intentional community, if we begin to grow more and more in the vulnerable communion, it's only going to get that much better. Um, when, when we're spending time with the Lord, and then he's putting burdens upon our heart to pray for people in our church, and then all of a sudden it's like you have to do this or that for that person because you've just been so stirred up. Yeah in your love for that person as you've been interceding for them alone with God. And then your intentional community just becomes so much sweeter and so much more free and so much more joyful. And so my encouragement would be like, let's, let's prioritize communion first and, and let the community flow out of that, as Dan said. And um, let's, let's view our relationship with the Lord with um, the idea that I don't know how to say it necessarily, but like, just like the, just like Dan is expecting me to show up today and help set all this stuff up for you guys, um, the Lord is expecting the relationship with us. Like, yeah, yeah, He's given so much for that relationship with us. He's expecting us to press into that. He's expecting us to show up. Um, so let's not view that relationship as something that can fall on the back burner. Whereas, you know, your boss or your spouse is expecting you to get something done today, now, that's not more important than, than your relationship with the Lord. So yeah, yeah. just some thoughts yeah. off yeah. the cuff. That's good. Um, I thought this was going to be short, you know, as we get into it, you know, things get longer. But that what we have found, like, over the last so many years is, as we've pressed into, like, just coming before the Lord and saying, we are going to lay ourselves before you, and we're just going to worship you. No agenda, no... Like, here's our order of service, and here's how things are going to go. Now we're going to press into you. We want to minister to you. We want to bless your name. Like, that's it. That's our agenda. <laughs> but what we've seen is, like, in those moments, as we've pressed into the Lord, and, and, and we've worshipped him, in, inevitably what he often brings to mind is, is, like, he burdens our heart with his own heart in terms of those in our community, right? Like, he, sh like, through worship, our hearts begin to be aligned with, with him. And inevitably then, in that alignment, we, we begin to know something of his own heart. And so before we know it, we've, we've gone from worship now to intercession. Because there's something of the Lord's heart that we've leaned into. And now, now there's something of ministry that is being birthed out of that particular worship. And so uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't want to get legalistic, you know, every time you think, about doing some sort of intentional thing for the good of the community. Well, you need, you know, X amount of time in worship. Uh, we're, we're not looking for that, but what we have found is that when we kind of just do things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, it is exhausting. Um, and, and oftentimes, to be straight, like at times, very unfruitful. And, and, and it's good that, 
I hate to say it, but it, it's good in some ways that God would do that, that he wouldn't bless our own strivings, because then we would, we would gloat in what we've accomplished. We would gloat in what we've done. But when we've taken the time to lean into him, and it's resulted, it's birthed something of, of ministry, then, like, you, you don't have any other way to say it, but, like, you're back to worship. You're back to thanking God for the things that he's done in your heart, the ministry that he's birthed through your life. You're, you're back now to worshiping him, and so that it begins this cycle of, of ministry and worship, ministry uh, and worship, and so, once again, vulnerable communion is a big is a big emphasis, and then secondly, that intentional community, and we could go to many different things as it relates to intentional community. We're going to be talking about that even uh, this Sunday uh, morning from Hebrews chapter 3. But then finally, so we have vulnerable communion, we have intentional community, and then finally we have sacrificial mission. So what we come to recognize within scripture is that um, although we are a small church on on the block of Walker and Benner. Like here we are at this point in place and time um, that we have a responsibility as a church to have a local and global vision to see Christ glorified. Uh, so you, it, may be, it may be something that, that as a small church you, you, you'd say, no, we, we we can't, we can't go there. We're, look at how small we are. But, but the push of Scripture is to say, hey, it, it actually doesn't matter how small you are. It, it's how great your Savior is. And therefore, your vision, your hope, right, your aim is to see Christ magnified locally and globally. So as a church, we've done a few things. Um, you know, in the past, we've done some work in Puerto Rico. We're hoping to do that. Uh, Jesse Goins, we see you on here, man. Uh, we pray for you guys on a regular basis. We see you in some ways as like just church family, and so we'd love eventually to be able to get up to New York. We've been working in the past with Brian Spears a bit, and so we'd love to continue some of that work in, in ministry, just in some way that the, the river of life, so to speak, would be flowing from us to these other places, from a local place to, to a global reality to see uh, Christ magnified. So we, we want to have a vision for that. Now, on a local level, we also want to have a vision for what we've, we've referred to as the big three. Um, we've, we've prayed through these things probably for the last three or more years as a leadership team. Uh, and so it's, it's been first uh, that God would allow us the opportunity to uh, start some, a ministry for the kids in this neighborhood. And so not too long ago, uh, it was Grace for Youth, which is now MGC Youth. Um, it was started a few years ago. And so there, there we see something of local mission established, something of structure uh, that's taken place. But it's also our hope that um, some sort of addictions ministry would eventually be established. Again, we're just praying into that, and, and we're waiting for God to give the cues. We're waiting for God to say, hey, here's, here's the direction on all these things. And finally, we've, we've desired to see something of a counseling ministry or partnership uh, established with all the needs represented just kind of on the block and around. It's, it's important that we would have folks who specialize in particular areas of counseling in order to be able to speak into the needs that are uh, represented here. So, but once again, like we can exhaust ourselves 
uh, with, this, with the mission that stands before us. Um, and so, once again, it's important that it all flows from this place of worship, that we want to take steps. We want to kind of, the activity should flow ultimately from a place of worship. Even as a church, um, we've been going through the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and some of you may be listening in and saying, well, that's a pretty shallow book, or whatever. Uh, I, I know people have their critique here and there, and frankly, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> Uh, but when it comes down to it, like Jim Sabala says, he says, like, their ministries have been birthed out of their prayer room. Like, and, like everything that they've done has largely come out of just their people gathering in, in, in prayer, pressing into the Lord in, in worship. And, and Jim even calls that their uh, their labor room, not, not just because of the groans and the cries, because of the prayers of the people, but because stuff happens from that point. Direction is given, vision is granted, uh, the Holy Spirit then seems to direct. And again, we see that from the book of Acts. Again, whether it's Acts uh, 4 or Acts 13 or Acts 16 for that matter, uh, we see God's people pray and worship, and it's like the Spirit then begins directing and guiding uh, God's people. Ultimately, so that we're not just kind of running in our own wisdom, ultimately so that we're not just striving to accomplish things in our own strength, but we're leaning into the Spirit. And then, and then the risk or faith comes into play, where it's like those, those admonitions from the Spirit can be uh, very subjective. Uh, and, and so those things need to be, yes, tested in some sense, but it's also then like, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require risk. It's going to require faith. We got to be good as a church with sometimes trying new things and failing. <laughs> uh, that's going to be part of, of the mission, where, where we, we thought this was direction, uh, but, you know, it, it didn't seem to be as fruitful as we would expect. But we go back to the to, to the worship, place of worship, and say, all right, Lord, guide our heart again. Like, what do you have for us? What do you want of us? We want to submit our, our, ourselves to you in seeing you glorified in the ways that you desire to be glorified. So that, again, is kind of the, the summary of uh, Mercy Gate Church, and then just kind of how the, the meaning of Mercy Gate even flows into our values, how we assume that even... Uh, through this, this name change, we, we want to accomplish this mission of making disciples through vulnerable communion with the Lord, intentional community with one another, and sacrificial mission uh, to others. Any thoughts? I do have a lot of thoughts, but they're off topic. All right. How about prayer? We're going to go ahead and jump into uh, prayer together. Um, uh, two of the things, just in my time with the Lord, that I just felt like we would probably should press into, is praying for our governing officials, um, especially during the corona season. Um, obviously, 2020 elections and all this kind of stuff is, is happening as, as well, and we all tend to have our, our political preferences and perspectives, uh, and yet God says, God says, like, it is a, it pleases his heart that we would intercede for our governing officials. So, uh, specifically, just want to pray for President Trump, um, Governor Wolf, and Mayor Kenny. Uh, and then, as you 
probably have already seen within social media and whatnot, um, obviously there's issues of racial injustice that as a culture we, um, that, we, that we faced. And so it's important to be interceding uh, for those involved, uh, especially for this situation with uh, George Floyd, um, which is just so, so sick and saddening uh, to see. Um, and yet, and yet, you, you know, you, you come to these moments and you recognize what a, what a broken context, what a broken culture uh, we live in. Um, but the way forward, the way forward uh, must, must have Christ at the center. It must, must. Um, he is the fountain of life. He is the one who actually brings hope and healing to our lives. He is the one who actually balances even our heart in terms of knowing how to be kind of instruments of justice within our own context and, and culture. We will step over one another, we'll hurt one another in the process if Christ is not at the center of these things, bringing hope uh, and healing. And by the way, also then for us to, to take risks, it will be costly as well as we kind of raise up the banner of, of Christ and, and also as we just kind of seek to do what we can in these situations of injustice. Any particular one you want to tackle? Yeah, I'll take uh, seven and six. All right, I want to kick it off. Even as we jump into prayer for these particular items, I'm reminded of the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Those words come with massive freight as... Um, you know, I'm not sure which particular emperor he was speaking of at that moment in time, but the persecution and the injustice that came at the hand of many emperors and many, many political and governmental leaders since then, and even when it comes to these issues of racial injustice, the injustice that comes by the hand of those who are supposed to be ministering justice, um, as Paul would say in Romans 13, the governing officials are intended to be ministers of God, attending to his justice against true injustice. Um, so how do we honor those who fail at bringing the justice they're instituted to bring? Um, so let's, let's do that as we, let's pray for them and honor them and even even just these three particular officials, President Trump, Governor Wolf, and Mayor Kenny, um, separate issues, um, but I hear and I see many, many Christians saying things that are not honoring to governing officials. And so let's pray for them together right now. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that even though there are so many failures, so many injustices, and so much lack of what was intended when you gave us governing officials. Lord, we thank you that even despite that, you have given so much good through these institutions. And so, Lord, our, 
our prayer right now is that we as followers of Jesus would learn how to honor those in their weaknesses and in their strengths. Lord, would we honor them? Would we support them? And would we pray for them? Lord, I pray for President Trump that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him divine grace that he at times lacks, that he would be sensitive in moments where he would be tempted to not be sensitive, and that he would lead our nation in a way that does bring true justice, that does bring true restoration, that divisions would be healed, that barriers and um, walls would be torn down in your name at his hand. Lord, I pray whatever his relationship and his status before you is, Lord, would he be a man that understands his sin and his weakness before you, that he would know you, that he would fall on his face before you in trust and in confession and in worship. Lord, would you, would you guide our president by your hand? Help him not to be able to escape the direction that you would love to see our country go in. Help him not to lead in his own will, but that he would that he would listen, that he would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Lord, I pray for our Governor Wolf as he has to um, take people in a state who are so different from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh and the mountains and everything in between. People who are so different, yet he's governing all of us, and he has to take all of our perspectives into account as he leads us. Lord, give him the wisdom to be able to do that. Lord, place advisors in his presence that would be able to speak excellent wisdom and truth into his decision-making. Lord, help him not to be um, irrational. Help him not to be overly cautious in a way that would be damaging to our state, but help him to know what to do, what to say, and how to lead us. And Lord, as we look at our own city, I lift up Mayor Kenny, Lord, as he has received much criticism. Lord, I pray for that man that he would, again, that he would lead from a place of listening and not deciding to act upon his own will or his own desires. But, Lord, we want to see our city led in a way that brings honor to you, that brings honor to the people of the city, both the rich and the poor, people of all colors, people of all classes. We want to see his decision and his leadership honor all of those. And so, Lord, we, we place them in your hands, and we ask for your help guiding them. We, help, we ask that you would help them just to to see themselves before the face of God and to lead us in a way that is humble, that is coming from a place of service and not power. Lord, we, we want to see our city, our state, and our nation come together even as we consider these most recent injustices. Lord, we want to see healing and so use our governing officials to bring that about. And help us as a church to honor them, to pray for them, and to support them, to speak into that. Not to criticize, not to demean, not to tear down, not to dishonor, but that we would be a people who speaks only what brings grace. So help us do that, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Uh, God, we, we come before you and we thank you that, um, that, you, are, that you are the God of justice, um, that it's perfect justice. It's not flawed justice. It's not um, just kind of some sort of singular perspective on justice, but it's, it's, it's perfect. It's thorough. It accounts for every side and accounts for um, every aspect. And so, Jesus, we, we look to you just thanking you, thanking you that you are a God of justice. Thank you that one day all injustices will be rightly, fully, finally satisfied in a way in which your, your people will stand in awe and praise at your work. So, Jesus, we, we thank you. Um, and yet, God, you have called your church to be ministers of justice in our culture, in this context. And so, God, I, I pray personally that you would give us the insight, the words to say, the, the direction, the things uh, that we can tangibly do uh, to, to be agents of justice in a context of injustice. Thank you that this is your call upon your people. Even Isaiah 58 comes to mind, that this is the fast that you would choose to, to, um, to, to have us walk in. Um, that it's to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke, every established system of injustice, uh, that it would be broken, that it would be set free for the sake of the, the dignity of those who've been created in your image. So God, I, I pray, I pray that there would be a redeeming work in, in our culture. That, um, God, a, a true redeeming work would be done. That it wouldn't just be talk. Um, that it wouldn't just be more discussions. That it wouldn't just kind of be cultural and political perspectives, just kind of clogging up the airwaves, but that justice and justice as you would see it would be seen uh, 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 as your church, that we would see it as you see it, and that we would do what we can by your grace, by your power, to see things uh, redeemed. So Jesus, we would just say we need your help, we need your grace, we need your perspective, we need your wisdom. So lead us and guide us. Do a work. May your church shine. May the world truly say, yeah, you're, you are followers of Christ because of the love. The self-giving love, the agape love that is represented in your community and through your community. So God, be glorified, pray, do a work, do a work that is, can only be of you. So we look to you, ask for your wisdom, your strength, your direction, it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, make sure you 
uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, going forward for the month of June, we're going to be taking a break from care and prayer. We got little ones probably arriving during the month of June, so we're going to create a, a little extra space in our schedules. However, we'll continue to uh, have times of worship together. Live streaming Sunday. By the end of June, we'll have more instructions that will come out as to how we'll tackle the next season of life as a church. So, hope to see you tomorrow afternoon. We'll be doing a little bit of worship, and on Sunday, we'll be doing live stream once again. So, hope to see you then. Catch you later.